Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the subject, the beautiful subject today on love. We're so glad each one of you could join us. We are recording today from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we welcome you all. And we will start with our morning prayer. Reading from pages 220 and 229 of Divinity Course in General Collectania. I have only to trust in God, for love is destroying disease. I can't do it. Truth and love are at work, and error and hate can't stand before them. They are destroying sin, disease, and death. I know this, and my faith in it cannot fail, and I cannot fear. Abide in love. Nothing can touch or harm you in love. Know that you live in love. Love is God as life itself. Take this understanding with you and bless others with love. Mary Baker Eddy. Just beautiful. Thank you, Florence. Okay, Karen. Watch number 36. Watch lest you fail to discriminate between love as the infinite good reflected by man of which man is the full expression and the human misinterpretation and misuse of it. If you permit your concept of love to become darkened through the material sense of it, which you see in the world, you may become so prejudiced against it, afraid of it, that you fail to cultivate it as a spiritual quality derived from God. If the human perversion of love seems so obnoxious that you endeavor to crush out or repress all tender affections, you may throw overboard the very thing most needed for your salvation, since love is truly the link between the human and the divine. When you see one misusing love or personalizing it, remember that he is heavenly homesick and yearning for God. But because he does not know this, he accepts a human substitute. If the master did not condemn Mary Magdalene, but healed her by feeding her famished affections spiritually, Christian scientists should not condemn one who has suffered enough from himself to be ready for divine love. Thank you. All right, comments on that one? Yes, I love it. He is heavenly homesick and yearning for God. That's perfect. <laughs> and it's true. Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about the link between love. Love is truly the link between the human and the divine. Divine love, we know, is ever-present, but it's abstract unless we see it expressed 
And so it's just so important for every individual to to express that which is you know just so ever present, but it has to be expressed by us or we don't really realize it it exists. So and it's all around us. That's the thing I've been learning more is that everything we see is love, not a thing. It's it's God's love expressing itself in a way that we can take hold of it and and make use of it and realize his omnipresence. Thank you. Right. And and I think the challenge here is to uh, always remember that love is a divine concept. It's not a human concept. There's no such thing as human love. Love is divine. And the, and the human imitation of it, if it's not divine, it's not love. Because love can't be selfish. Uh, a lot of what people consider to be human love is really selfish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It has a focus. You, 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 you have something you love, someone you love. But love, divine love, I've learned, it loves anyway. You love. You just love. <laughs> just love and focus and love. Yes. Right, as Mrs. Eddie says, she loves even the blade of the grass under her feet because she can't help but love. But that's a divine impulsion. It's not a human, it's not a selfish, it's not anything like that. Yeah, it made me think of what Jesus said in love, that, you know, when he talks about loving his, your enemies. He said, you know, God sends rain on the just and the unjust and the righteous and the unrighteous. And and I thought about that, and I realized when I pray, uh, it's hard to put in words, but it's like it was like I wasn't hating my enemies, but I felt like I I realized I was kind of praying around them, but not loving in the right way, not praying with love to see the situation correctly, to see God's government. So this this I think was very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's also helpful to recognize that. Unless you can see the person as the child of God, you're not loving them. You can't. You don't have to condone their actions. Absolutely not. But you have to see them as the child of God. You can see the good example in that. It's in the Bible, and it was those of you who've watched The Chosen was was uh, Jesus um, how how he dealt with. Mary Magdalene. You know, he could have thought, oh, God, this is terrible. This is awful. And he, even Nicodemus was frightened by her and her demons. But um, Jesus loved her and that healed her. Rich Carey would say, you love the hell out of them. <laughs> but that, the love divine. So that's a good example. And that's one that we all should follow. He is the one we follow. So if you see something that appears to be unlovable, look past the picture and see what God made. And something, as we know in Mary Magdalene, you know, what happened to her kind of perverted her temporarily. 
Um, but God and the Christ brought her back to the fold and then see what a tremendous worker she is. Tremendous. We were talking about this here the other day about how and Mrs. Eddy has said her, her best workers were those who were raised from the dead, more or less, because they have given their lives back to God. Um, and and then they become very moldable in his hands, ready to do whatever. Because without him, there was no life. Love alone is life. Not is love. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, love is you know, one... Bruce is speaking now. <laughs> Thank you. It's one of the most commonly used words and frequently misused, and it's been mentioned earlier about the selfish aspect of the misconception of it. So that's a real good question we should ask ourselves. <laughs> because for those that do it, with willfully or selfishly, it's going to be disappointed at some point in time. You're not going to get what you want selfishly. And when that happens, what you think is love will turn immediately to hate, which indicates that it wasn't love in the first place. So that's that's the great test. Thank you. Well, was trying to speak. That was going to comment before. Uh... In the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, it says that oh, that the church was what made her a uh, prostitute, but that she wasn't at all. So, for what you said, it, it reminded me of that writing. And also, oh. I love what someone said. I got like, there is a human. I love the way you put it. There is a human imitation of divine love and a human expression of divine love. Uh, that was great. Thank you. That imitation. <laughs> uh, one is imitation, another one expressions. How wonderful. Thank you. And when you only have experienced that human love in your life and you come across people actually reflecting divine love, you realize there's something different. You might not be sure what it is at first, but, you know, like, these people are different. So, thank God for that. Thank you. I had many things sent to me to for this lesson. It's such a beautiful one. I'm going to share a few. The first two aren't necessarily about love, but they were important. This was from um, Nancy in Texas sent it to us. It was a, a snippet from Daisette McKenzie. Now, Daisette McKenzie was married to William McKenzie, and she got this, uh, Paul Smiley had a sister, Sharon, that Nancy has looked out for, and she found it in her papers. So this is a quote from Desette McKenzie. The governments of the world will resist government by God, and this will, call, and this will cause trouble, tribulation, but you keep your eyes on the Christ that is appearing. I thought that was very good because that's what seems to be going on. And we must keep our eyes on the Christ that's appearing because it is. That doesn't get much space in the news, but we must look for it and know it is appearing. It will ever appear. And there, then we bring it forth. And then this. Um, 
Carrie sent it to me um, because we were talking about independence, freedom, and some of our sessions. Uh, this is by Mrs. Eddy, Independence, an un unpublished article. It was found in Collectania. And she, Mrs. Eddy writes, a man has no right to do wrong. His right is to do and think right. Independence consists in his liberty and right to do right. The misconstruction of the word independence is the offspring of malicious animal magnetism. Beware of defending your right to do wrong and be strong to defend yourself against the right to do evil. Man's right is his power and privilege to act independently of evil suggestions or motives, and he has neither right nor liberty to do wrong. Neither divine nor human law recognizes the right of man to sin, to steal, to commit adultery, to murder, and to do these things no more means independence than no means yes or good means evil. So long as he exercises this mistaken sense of right, he will wrong himself and others, heap up wrath against the day of wrath, and bring upon himself punishment according to his deeds. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. Thank so, you. Yes, I thought that was wonderful. Um, and, you know, American can get into trouble where they people can have any right to do anything. That is simply not true. And the fact that we mainly got off this course of obeying as, as she was, this were the Ten Commandments she was quoting and Sermon on the Mount, all of these things we have, we must do right. Or if we don't, we will heap day upon the day of wrath. So. We're not, we don't have a license to do whatever we want to, to be unkind to our brothers. It has nothing to do with independence. Or liberty. It's, liberty. It's interesting you should bring that up, Mary, because I looked up, uh, Mrs. Eddy says nothing is real but the right. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the word right just the other day in Webster's, uh, 1828, and it was a beautiful um Definition, conformity to the will of God hmm. or to his law. Yes. The perfect standard of truth and justice. Right is rectitude or straightness. And perfect rectitude is found only in the infinite being and his will. So there's no room there <laughs> thinking that right is anything other than that. I just love that definition. Freedom from error. Conformity <laughs> with truth. <laughs> Yes, they lined up with what is right, and yes, yeah. and rectitude is being morally upright. Yes, morally yeah. up. All of these things. There's not a lot of wiggle room here at all. This is following this. <laughs> you know, I've talked to a lot of my um, friends um, about different topics, and we get into <clears throat> the laws of God, and they. They believe in that um, Christian theology of uh, free will, and they believe that you know God has given man free will, will to do good and will to do evil, and all, a lot of that stems from I believe their 
their firm belief that evil is actually real. And that's this great departure that we have. I don't, I haven't really found the perfect uh, way to handle that with, with my friends, but it's a pretty strongly held belief with Christians that we all, we have free will. Yeah. How does God give you right to do evil? I mean, absolutely not. I know. I mean, that isn't, it's not right. I know it, 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 it doesn't make sense if you truly understand that God is love and God is all. I mean, he says reason is the strongest faculty, so I definitely try to reach people that way. But um, it just doesn't doesn't add up. If God is all, how would he? How could he allow it? No, he doesn't. You're he doesn't. right. <laughs> but some people will compromise, and they will they will they will accept something that doesn't make sense to just to. I, I, I don't know, just to ju- like maybe justify the conditions in which they think they're living. Yeah. it's. I think it's part of the mesmerism of living through the five senses, and that's where we have to be so vigilant is to, you know, like the our, our daily work is to, you know, stay awake and kind of separate the tears from the wheat, you know, and not uh, not be drawn in by what the physical senses are telling us because obviously they – they are liars. Right. We, we diverge quite a bit from the Christians on a lot of subjects, and, and that certainly is, is one, or two, three, four, <laughs> and, and it makes a huge difference. So, so, yes, we must be clear, and that's why we study and pray and read our textbook so we know what we're talking about, and we're not just taking on other people's beliefs. Now, Elizabeth, um, do you have what you sent to me from uh, Clarence Steves? I do have it. Yes, I do. Well, you can. It's just something she found on love. Go ahead. Okay. Love. Love. This is the word that best describes our dear father, mother, God. And it is the word that best describes man. God's love made manifest. Be this love, sing this love, rejoice in this love, because it is the substance of your being. It is the action. It is your blood. It is your digestion. It is your assimilation. It is your very heartbeat. It is the pressure. It is the circulation. It is the temperature. It is everything that means health, that means wholeness. That means completeness. In short, as our leader wrote in the last verse of her poem, Love, for love alone is life, and life's most sweet as heart to heart speaks kindly when we meet and part, unquote. Let us thank God that we are the living of the love that is principle, this undeviating love, this continuous love that is all. Thank you. That's very beautiful. So, you know, if you have any trouble with any of these things, blood, digestion, assimilation, heartbeat, pressure, circulation, check your love. How much do you love divinely? All right. And then, Nancy, just your first two paragraphs. Sure. 
Um, <clears throat> thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Love for God and love for others, we are told, is the fulfillment of God's law. For we cannot love others until we are in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. But we cannot truly love God unless we truly know him as our Savior, whom to know is life eternal. When a man or woman truly loves the Lord, every part of their being, then that love is true. Then that, that love is true love. It is a love that is birthed in trusting him and a love that flows into our hearts and minds from the love for Christ, of Christ, excuse me, for his own. And from that love will flow a willing service and a loving obedience from a heart that loves the Lord with every part of his being. Let our every thought be taken captive to the Lord so that we may remain in sweet fellowship with the God of our salvation. For when the eyes of our heart are fixed on him in grateful thanks for his work on Calvary's cross and the redemptive work within our own lives, we who are forgiven much will love much. Indeed, it should be our joy and rejoicing to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and mind, for he loved us first. Thank you. And it is so true. You can't really love others until you have a right relationship with God. Um, a peace in your heart and mind about your relationship with God. And yes, we love him because he first loved us. We're going to get into that soon. And Gary's squirming around. <laughs> well, and, and why we have to have a strong clear relationship with God before we can love anyone else because that relationship is love and unless we love others as God loves us unless we feel God's love for us we are unable to love others correctly and that's why you know many relationships don't work out because the inability to love Again, it's always a matter of first thing first, line upon line, precept upon precept. You've got to, to learn these godly ways in order to have real peace in your heart and and success, the right right way of success, God's success, not human. And that you know that explains why it's important for us to spend time first thing each morning in prayer studying the lesson, re reading whatever, you know, we're um, inspired to read and establishing in thought a relationship with God before we go out into the world and try to do anything. Because <laughs> if we don't do it... With even before the coffee. <laughs> yeah, even before the coffee, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why before you put your feet on the... On the ground to go your daily duties, acknowledging that God is your mind and your life. Um, yes. What a beautiful way to have put all that. Thank you. I I also have been inspired to that Bible quote that said, "Faith without deeds is dead," 
and and to put it into love without being dead. And it's been such a blessing. Thank you. That's beautiful. I remember, remember after Jesus was uh, baptized by John the Baptist and went the wilderness, his love was tested. If he didn't have true love, he wouldn't have come through. Yes. Yes. It's, it's very important that we see this um, with all the prophets, but certainly with Jesus. If, if, when he was up on the cross, when all these horrible things were happening, if he came down for a moment in his thought, from love, he would he would have lost the omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience of God, and that would have been game over. You must never forget this when you're being tried and tested, maybe to the point of your limit, so you feel. You must not come down from that state of love with a capital L. You surrender God's allness, his total love and and yes game over <clears throat> so now Mika Ela sent something about herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment she looked up that word boldness besides courage bravery intrepid intrepidity <laughs> spirit fearlessness it says boldness also means freedom from timidity liberty Confidence, confident trust, freedom from bashfulness, assurance, confident mien, confident persona. And also what astonished me was prominence. This is her speaking. Prominence, the quality of exceeding the ordinary rules of scrupul scrupulous nicety and caution applied to style, expression and metaphors and language and to figures in painting, sculpture, and arch architecture. It is often referred here that being nice is not being kind and not loving. Being courageous and saying and living the truth with freedom from timidity, with confidence, and exceeding ordinary rules of scrupulous nicety and caution is bold love. Under God's direction at the day of his judgment of timing, not mine, much love from Isha'ila. So, you know, we should have bold actions. That was one thing Mrs. Evans used to say because she was very much bold. And everything she did, the way she dressed, the way she walked, the way she spoke. And she would say to people who mumbled, speak up, okay? <laughs> if you don't have any confidence in what you're saying, you're going to mumble. You speak up or be quiet till you get that confidence. So remember that uh, where we don't go around wringing our hands like Uriah Heep and all this t timidity fake. Usually it's fake timidity, but we're sure of what we are and who we are because it's of God. She also taught us to remember. Error is aggressive. Error will aggressively attack you and try to take your Christ from you. That is. And she said, to counteract that, be aggressive with your love. Thank you. Yep. Have a bold love. Don't try to hide it under a bushel. <laughs> no, like, that's very true. 
that my favorite watching point, I believe it's 496, talks about how we must not be mere defenders of the faith, but aggressors. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, she would come in a room, the room would light up, and she would go to people, hug them warmly, speak loudly, say what was on her mind, um, and it was very refreshing. But it wasn't this little slinking around, you know, afraid to say anything or... Go ahead. Was that far? No, I think it's because she lived the truth. She lived what she was saying. And society herself talks about timidity. She was timid herself, she said, until... She got to the point where she would walk into where she was giving the talk with confidence. So it's not something that one should own forever. Timidity. I was I used to be very timid too, but you grow out of it when you become more confident in living this truth daily. Thank you. Absolutely. I I was too most timid person. Oh my goodness! And I would never raise my voice. I would mumble all of those things, and. You do you do grow out of it, and it shows you are getting the real sense of the spirit when you grow out of it. Uh, otherwise, yeah, and as Gary said, era is aggressive, so you have to be all the more and more all the more ag- aggressive in your love. Yes, I used to think, oh, I was speaking out, and I. Uh, we were doing things or was being loving. And if I could see a movie of myself, I'd say, what? <laughs> I wasn't at all. And and people sometimes don't feel your love unless you go, go at the it. Extra mile. Yeah, go the go extra it. mile. Go that extra mile. Show that love. Draw them out of their shells. This is what our life should be. And if it's not, you're still too self-involved with yourself. What people think of you, what you're going to look like, if people are going to like you, all of that. And that's not what we're about. What can we do? And I, ha- Sorry. And I have seen also that there's a false sense of humility in that way. Sometimes yes. people mumble or say with a false sense of humility. Yes. Right. And and when they do that, you know that they're being selfish about it. It's <laughs> yeah. not humble. Yeah. Yeah, not humble. It's all self. Yeah, God's all, giving it, you something to say, you better say it. it exactly. If God has given you something to say, you better say it. Mm-hmm. And and otherwise, you don't know who you are. It's a sign you're breaking away from those false landmarks. Now, an article that um, Carrie sent me was very good. Love the only life. Um, by a Ira, Ira Packard. Um, and I'm just going to read parts of it. I, anyway, he writes, there is no life or existence outside of love. So if we want life, we must love. There is no other way. We are never excused or pardoned for breaking this law of love any more than we are for breaking the law of mathematics. No wrong done us, no matter how great is the least excuse. No one ever had more cause for bitter feelings toward those who wronged him than did Jesus. Yet he loved all to the end. And this is where it says, yeah, that if he hadn't, he would have lost his Asking soul. about the woman that... He would have lost his hold on love. 
he would have lost that realization of love's omnipresence and omnipotence, which enabled him to demonstrate the fact that life is deathless. And then, um, if we hate, we are in the unreal, in darkness. And this darkness will be fear, and fear will be pe- will people this darkness with ghosts, evil spirits, devils, beliefs of disease. Is that what you want? Doesn't sound very fun, does it? We shall be consumed by our terrors. But there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. So, um, he talks about how he used to go to the Presbyterian church, and he, he was never really aware much of love. Uh, he was more aware of the rules and, you know, that he should honor the Sabbath day and things like that. He said it wasn't really till he got into Christian science that he found love everywhere. It's all throughout the Bible, right? I mean, you can't really miss it. And it's commanded. He says love is commanded because it is the fact of existence. It has to be. And if you have anything other than love, then you're corrupting your being. So it is with love. Its demands are just as exacting and obligatory. If we cherish hate, resentment, or even ill will towards anyone, we cannot get our petition for health, harmony, life answered. We must first correct the mistake. What does the Bible say? First, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. We cannot break the changeless law of love and obtain harmony any more than we can break the law of mathematics and obtain the correct answer. So think of that. You you can't work out this problem. You you have a health problem, you have any kind of a problem. If you're not loving, you won't be able to work it out. The math problem won't be solved. You know, uh Florence read in that beautiful prayer, love is destroying disease. I cannot do it. That's a quote from Mrs. Eddy. Love is what destroys the problems. Divine love. And as we come under that, then all these things, like the list that Elizabeth read for us earlier, they'll they'll go because it's love that heals. It's only love that heals. So I thought that had some good points about the absolute importance of love. And and just to I mean, Mrs. Eddy wrote somewhere that love is a is a mighty spiritual force, and there's a reason because love. And principle in science become one and the same. Principle is a law, right? Principle is the basis. Well, love has to be principled to be divine. Love without principle is, is like mush, right? And someone said, principle without love is like an iceberg. So divine love is totally principled. 
it shows compassion when compassion is needed. It it wields a, a, a sword when a sword is needed. Whatever is needed divinely is, is love. But it has to be principled. And that is why it heals everything. Thank you. That's that's so important, the principal part of it, because that's why this anything goes philosophy, then that's loving, is not love. It's not love at all. Just anything goes, whatever, whatever. No, love is principled. And that sometimes takes work to enforce that principle, takes work to enforce the principle. You have to. This this idea of just being mushed and let any anything go on and anything happen because that's loving that's that's lazy and unprincipled. Love is not nice. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely not. <laughs> or or not, love- not love. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Of our brother man to to see him in his true depict, which is made in the image and likeness of God. So. Loving him is seeing him in his perfection, and that doesn't mean we condone the things that he's doing, but we detach them from him, right? Isn't that sort of how Jesus healed, to see them as perfect right now? Correct. That's right. Separate, Mrs. Evans used to say, separate the error from the person. Destroy the error, release, and let the person go free. It's like what you're supposed to do with kids. You love the child, but you don't like the behavior no. sometimes. <laughs> and, and when you can see so clearly, the behavior is no part of them. And you do that as you grow in the truth. And, and, and as, you, as you see, kill the error within yourself, then you can see it to help others. But if you keep it attached to them and get angry at them for the behavior, then you have created an even bigger problem. <clears throat> that's not loving <laughs> no exactly no and um, you know in the lesson this week the beautiful story of Peter and Cornelius uh, it came to Peter we, we can't pick and choose who we're going to love I mean what? that's not love love embraces everyone all people everywhere and Cornelius and Peter were getting the same message together and that was a huge breakthrough and again you can certainly see in the chosen um how jesus was always combating this all these factions and and this one and that one there's nothing to do with love the love of god which includes all people everywhere without exception did you want to say anything about what you wrote well just that I, what I, after reading about it and uh, looking some things up, uh, coming to the conclusion that Peter would argue a little bit before. He did argue with, he got this and he understood it very quickly, what God was telling him. And he embraced the idea of Cornelius. He said, I'm Jewish. I would not have anything to do with you ordinarily, but he knew. And Cornelius, of course, knew. So I thought I thought it was very nice. And there are a few words that God loves Gentiles. God loves everybody. It doesn't matter. There's no color anywhere. It's all love. And uh, and they, they got that. 
and it, it was it was it was a good thing and a very good Bible lesson I think for all of us. Love and the nations. Uh, it doesn't matter where you live. If you love God, that's that's it, and He will love you. <laughs> right, He does. God is no respecter of person. Could I yeah, say no something? Yes. yes, go ahead. I, yeah, I wanted to say that what you're saying about the uh, you know this divine love, it's the most powerful thing to bring us into who we are. Anything lukewarm has nothing to do with divine love. And hiding, you know, not taking a stand. Um, I hear from my little children that I teach all the time who come from Lebanon and Syria and Romania, and they talk a lot about being angry. And I've been working a lot with my practitioner about my belief that I'm I can be angry and I'm realizing that this love just dissolves it because these are God's perfect ideas and then we're starting to paint less about war I noticed last week and less about children dying in Palestine and uh, and so I'm very grateful for that so that helps me to understand that God is love a little bit more thank you that's beautiful and that's living truth that's just beautiful. You have this opportunity to, to do this and prove it, and you are. And this will bless these children forever. Thank you. I, I just heard I heard a long time ago that anger is just a sign that things need to change. So, so it's okay to be angry, but you have to make the change. You can't just live in it. Good, good point. Thank you. Would you read to us a golden text? First John, behold... What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Thank you. You know, this is a something we say a lot, think about, but we really need to think more and more about what this means, that we are the sons and daughters, we can say, or whatever, of, of God. What does that mean to you, to dwell on it? Um, in an article from Karen about this, because this is the First uh, John one two scientific statement of being. You know what we say at the end of every service. So this professor Herring says, we feel deeply grateful to our leader each Sunday for this beautiful ending of our Sunday service. These passages seem to be the kernel and epitome of all the lesson sermons and are like. And are like the preachers, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. They place the seal of divinity on the service, after which we shall do well to go to our homes, enter our closet, shut the door of the material senses, and meditate on the wonderful truth we have heard, and then make it our own. So, from now going forward, when we hear this being read, our service really think about what it is saying this article brings out how mrs mrs eddie spent a lot of time deciding to say this deciding to say the scientific statement of being with it she just didn't pop it there at the end for some nice little thing this is a hugely significant as is everything in our service we must take the time to to reflect on it and to think that yes, you are the son of God, son and sons and daughters of God. And then K 
McCarran, I, I quoted from something she sent me on Wednesday night from McLaren. So go ahead, Karen. You can read from that as well. It's very beautiful. Okay. okay. Um, we have here the loving and devout gaze upon this wonderful love. Behold, at the beginning of my text is not the mere exclamation which you often find both in the Old and in the New Testament, which is simply intended to emphasize the importance of what follows. But it is a distinct command to do the thing, to look and ever to look, and to look again and live in the habitual and devout contemplation of that infinite and wondrous love of God. I have but two remarks to make about that, and the one is this, that such a habit of devout and thankful meditation upon the love of God as manifested in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the consequent gift of the divine spirit joined with the humble, thankful conviction that I am a child of God thereby lies at the foundation of all vigorous and happy Christian life. How can a thing which you do not touch with your hands and see with your eyes produce any effect upon you unless you think about it? If you had a dear friend in Australia and never thought about him, he would even cease to be dear. If he were really dear to you, you would think about him. You will never make anything of your professed Christianity. You will never get a drop of happiness or any kind of good out of it. It will neither be a strength nor a joy nor a defense to you unless you make it your habitual occupation to behold the manner of love and look and look and look until it warms and fills your heart. The second remark is that we cannot keep that great sight before the eye of our mind without effort. You will have to very resolutely look away from something else. What the world lets you see, you will see. And the world will take care that it will let you see very little, not enough to do you any good, not enough to deliver you from its chains. Wrench yourselves away, my brethren, from the absorbing contemplation of Birmingham jewelry and paste and look at the true riches. If you have ever had some glimpses of that wondrous love and have ever been drawn by it to cry, Abba, Father, do not let the trifles which belong not to your true inheritance fill your thoughts, but renew the vision and by determined turning away of your eyes from beholding vanity, look off from the things that are seen, that you may gaze upon the things that are not seen, and chiefest among them upon the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. You know that word behold, to fix the gaze upon to see with attention, to observe with care. Behold, what manner of love 
Father has bestowed upon you, that you should be called a son. Think about, think on that. It, it's huge. I mean, that in itself is so huge. You know, that beautiful from the prodigal son, son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. So what, what is it that you think you don't have? What is it? <clears throat> Whatever it is, God has. And as you walk with him, closer walk with him, um, you will, you'll have it all as well, but you've got to obey. There's, there's a but to it, obeying his precepts and loving him more than anything else. As, as Nancy, we started out with loving him with all your heart, mind, and soul, having that relationship with him. And if you don't have it, today's the day to get it. Get it. You can. God wants you to have it. Therefore, it's ever available. But all of that was so beautiful. And so when we hear it being read today, think on it. Don't just let it go quickly at the end of the service. You're getting hungry and want to go home or whatever. <laughs> there is another very beautiful article. This is from um, Caroline Linnell. And uh, it's called Our Heritage. And we've, we've heard this story before. I won't go, go into it too much because it was in the Dorothy Ricky about this boy who was actually a son of a king, but he didn't know it and, and had to find out. And then all that he inherited. Well, perhaps maybe this is the source of it. I don't know. We keep going back and back because this is from an article in 1905. And this time it says, suppose the daughter of a great king should be taken from the, her father's palace. And it, it talks about you know, once finding out that she is a child of God, um, it takes a while, right? You've got to take a while and overcome all of these things. We must arise from our miserable abode in materiality. We must seek to be at home in the body and absent from the Lord. We must seek and find our true home. It takes, takes work to clarify your thinking. And as um, Karen read, Era does. Era seems to not want to let you loose or free. It's always going to try to get your attention. Behold, look at me. Look at me. Don't look at the things of God. So we've got to love God enough that we focus on him always. Let your gaze on the Lord and keep it there. It's an answer to a lot of problems. We're going to end some, with something beautiful from some notes on True Vision, what, what uh, John Morgan wrote about the synonym love. He writes, love beholds me as its own beloved. The divine mother, love, conceives me as complete and perfect. I reflect this divine conception and accept it. And so conceive and behold everyone in love. The light of ever-present love illumines the universe. I see that every idea is at rest, never frustrated or thwarted, never tense, and so my vision rests in action and is at peace and satisfied.
Love's viewpoint confers impartiality, forgiveness, constancy. As Shakespeare has it, quote, Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken, end quote. I look with the eye of spiritual innocency and behold no evil, for we are in the divine presence. I behold man in love and blot out all sense of imperfection, all fear and dislike. I look with the eye of love's benevolence and behold in man all the hues and qualities of God. In this view, there is full recognition of the divine nature. So I look with the eye of gratitude, for the divine glory fills all space. With a grateful outlook, I monitor my entire universe and draw into expression the beauty of holiness. I saw the love of God encircling the universe and man, filling all space, and that divine love so permeated my own consciousness that I loved with Christ-like compassion everything I saw. This realization of divine love called into expression the beauty of holiness, the perfection of being, which healed and regenerated and saved all who turned to me for help, end quote. Attributed to Mrs. Eddy from General Collection, published by Gilbert Carpenter. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.